Hello, everyone. Welcome to our special March Madness preview edition of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Joe, we're March Madness. Let's go into Mississippi Madness. And that's the Queens over the Chris Beard firing. I mean, hiring. There's people in the place. Uh, there's opinions like mine that is, hey, there hasn't been anything proven. And you'd never be able to be a coach like this ever. Like, he's such an incredible hunter, too. How could you possibly hunter that guy? And, Jim, like I said, in, in my mind, you have zero convictions. You have a recanting of whatever the allegation of what, what the allegations are. There's nothing that's came of it. And this is leaps and bounds the best person available on the market. And easily the most impactful hunter in the history of Ole Miss basketball. No, it, it really is, Dan. And I was watching uh, clips of yesterday's press conference. And, you know, the more I think about it, I feel like it's just such a slam dunk, you know, from a basketball standpoint from Ole Miss for all the points that you made. And I really think there's a decent chance that over the next few years you're going to have some people in the fan base that are more interested, more locked into basketball than any other sport. Because I think the team could be potentially that good and I never thought, you know, that would be the case the last few years, the way the program has been. There's been a lot of apathy. The crowds have been dismal. And Chris Beard was very vocal last night saying that he doesn't just want to make the NCAA tournament. He's like, I want to win the NCAA tournament, which is crazy to sound, you know, to say it Ole Miss. But when you think about a guy that was the 2019 Coach of the Year nationally and almost won a national title at Texas Tech, it's not that far-fetched. Well, Joe, not only that, I mean, when he got fired from Texas, uh, you know, over over the allegations that, that he had from his fiance, they were number one in the country when he got fired. And this team, after him getting fired, was able to maintain such a high level of play. They come in as, I believe, the number one overall two seed, coming off beating Kansas in the final of the Big 12 tournament. So they won what many people believe to be the best tournament in college basketball. They won that league without him, and that's the nucleus of players that he's built. So, I mean, you can imagine that if he had been there the whole season, they probably would be maybe the number one overall seed in this tournament. No, that's a compelling point. You know, he assembled that team of talent, and there's rumor that at least one player from Texas, I think a former five-star recruit that's a freshman, might even – join him in Oxford from the transfer portal. And so it's going to be fascinating to see the class and the group of players that he uh, brings to Oxford. I think he'll probably keep a couple of the players from the current roster, uh, most notably uh, Matthew Morrell, if he can convince him to stay. I think that'd be a great piece. But I really think that in the next two years, you're going to see, if not next year, Ole Miss uh, right there in the NCAA tournament conversation. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'll go as far to say that Chris Beard will get Ole Miss eventually to a Final Four because I don't know how many years he'll be there ultimately if he wins. But I, I definitely think that second weekend, Sweet 16 in, in the next few years is definitely a possibility. Uh, Joe, I 100% think that's on the table. I mean, and you're talking about him possibly being the most popular coach on campus and having some fans that have Ole Miss basketball be the most popular sport. Just look at what Bruce Pearl did at Auburn. I mean, he comes into a school that's football crazy, that that's always been the number one sport. Had a you know relatively poor history in basketball. Before uh, Bruce Pearl had gotten there, Auburn had been to, I think, three, three Sweet 16s and one Elite Eight. And he comes in and, you know, similar to Ole Miss, they built a nice facility. They built it my senior year I was at Auburn. 
And it wasn't until four years later when they bring in Bruce Pearl. And he took a couple, you know, years of growing pains. But then he gets on to the NCAA tournament in 2018. And the next year they go to the Final Four. And then after that, he makes it to where, I mean, I think right now basketball is, if it's not as popular as football, it's a notch, like a very small notch below it. And in terms of like, you know, filling out the stadium and the ticket prices and everything, it's succeeding basketball. And he's the highest paid coach at the university. And he's definitely the most beloved figure at the university when it comes to athletics. And Chris Beard has that possibility because right now, outside of, of course, what Mike Bianca has done, he's a more accomplished uh, basketball coach than Lane Kiffin is as a football coach. Yeah, there's something about him. I was uh, listening to him talk last night. I think that, you know, with everything he's been through, he seems to be the type of guy that's uh, very uh, generous with his time, like really just happy that anybody gave him an opportunity, like Mm -hmm. really appreciative of where he is. And I think that, you know, when people kind of get over, um, you know, just kind of the, you know, polarizing extent of a hire like this, and and, you just think about as he settles in, hopefully – I think that there are going to be a lot of people that embrace him like as a person. They're like, you know, this is a nice guy to talk to. I think he's going to get the student body really energized. Um, he also um, does a lot of, uh, I think he has like a TV show or something he does, the fireside chats where he'll bring guests in and talk about basketball. And I, I think that he's going to have the fan base excited. And then because of who he is, he's just going to bring so much uh, more relevancy to the program. You're going to have people, you know, in the state of Oregon that know about Ole Miss basketball now. Absolutely. And here's something else to think about, too. You know, you say he may not be there that long. Well, I don't think a lot of people thought that, you know, Bruce Pearl would stay at Auburn for a long time. And because of the success he had and the support that he got that just, you know, took off, they were able to lock him into a forever deal because he fell in love with the place that gave him that chance. When he was untouchable, they took him in and they let him be himself and persevere through it. And Ole Miss is doing that now for Chris Beard. So if he has some success, I think they'll have a great chance at holding on to him if they can make the right offer. Yeah, no, I, I could see that being the case. Um, and I could see, like you said, him being grateful you know, for the opportunity. Um, I, I definitely feel like he's there about four years regardless. And it just kind definitely. of depends on, you know, like how, how it goes, you know, you know from like the, the glass half empty mindset to look at it objectively, obviously there's a lot of good coaches in the SEC, so nothing's guaranteed. Like it will be tough, you know, year in and year out. But th- there's just something about him, you know, with his track record winning in the Big 12 Conference that, you know, leads me to believe that th- th- this just feels like it's going to work out. Definitely. I think it's going to work out too. I mean, he's he's done it at every stop he's been at and – now, I mean, he's going to have a chance to resurrect a program that probably has one of the lesser histories in the SEC, but it's still in a good recruiting territory. I mean, I think he's going to be able to kill it in Memphis, which has always been there for Ole Miss, but I don't think they've used the way they need to. Uh, Birmingham is a decent, ten, you know, is a decent basketball uh, area right now. Nashville. And I think he's going to do a really good job bringing in players outside to nationally because he's been able to show what he can do. And I think the fact that he was able to take Texas Tech to the national championship that had probably a weaker basketball history than Ole Miss when he arrived there tells me that he can do the same kind of thing at Ole Miss. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. That's kind of the case study that gives you that optimism that he could really make Ole Miss a serious contender. And then he also was an assistant at Texas Tech before that under Bobby Knight. You know, so you think about his tutelage there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, yet again, another polarizing figure for kind of similar reasons, actually, um, except you knew he did it because you saw it. Um, but you can't argue with Bobby Knight's basketball acumen and, of course, all of the great coaches that trained underneath him, including Coach K. That's a Bobby Knight disciple right there. And, I mean, you know, he's he's the only one that's won a national championship by going undefeated, and nobody's done it since 1972 when he did – or I think it was 1978 when he did it. And, I mean, Bobby Knight's one of the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. He is. He is. And, I mean, speaking of great, I mean, the last thing I'll say is I, I still, when we talk about it, cannot believe that Chris Beard's the oldest men's basketball coach. I like, can't either, it, man. It just I mean, seems like un- impossible to believe. Oh, it is, man. I mean, like I said, this is the same way I felt when Auburn was able to lock down Bruce Pearl. I kept thinking that something was going to happen at the last minute to where they weren't going to get him. And with Chris Beard, I mean, they kept talking about it for weeks, and I was like, okay, if it hasn't happened yet, that's that just makes me worried that they're talking about it so much, but it hasn't gotten locked in. And I was so happy when it finally happened because, I mean, this was the coaching hire that was out there, and – He's just – he's a winner. He's a complete winner, and he's someone that Ole Miss has never had anybody that's even in the same hemisphere of a caliber of coaches, huh? Well, I mean, with all the coaches that have retired now, I mean, are there three other coaches that you would rather have, like regardless of, you know, the program that you are? I mean, what, you, you could say John Calipari, Mark Few, um, you know, Tom Izzo. But when you go past that, I mean – and then I guess you could say uh, Scott Drew over at Baylor. Who's really more accomplished right now that's out there? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, if if Chris Beard did not have, you know, what had happened the last few months, kind of the cloud over him, you know, if he was on the market, like there would be like, like jobs that opened. Like it, it would just have been insane. Right. I mean, it, it would have been name your price. I mean, Kentucky may have looked at him and like told John Calipari to leave the door. I mean, these are the kind of like programs – you know, North Carolina could be so upset they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Here's my hook and a great lead-in that they would even tell, uh, you know, their coach to leave the door even after getting the national championship for the chance to get someone like Chris Beard. That's how high level of a hire he is. Right, definitely. Um, speaking of which, so the three biggest snubs I thought from this year's NCAA tournament, you know, begins with North Carolina. They played a national championship game last year. They won 20 games, and I know that, you know, the ACC was a little bit down, but they had a winning record in the ACC. They were 11-9, and nine, and, Joe, they're North Carolina. I cannot believe that they left them out of the tournament, especially when you think about they have basically all the players they had from their team last year that made it to the national championship. They still had Leaky Black. Um, you know, I think they, they – yeah, and, I mean, they had they had all kinds of the same players they had last year. And it was uh, it was a very weird thing. They didn't maintain the same level of success. But still, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a 20-win North Carolina team with a winning record in their conference not make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's surprising. Um, you know, it was also surprising to me kind of how their season went too, kind of being like preseason number one with four of the five starters returning. Like, I thought, you know, this could be a team that could, you know, have some shades of like 06, 07 Florida as far as mm-hmm. kind of running it back and, you know, having a chance to be right back there and maybe win the whole thing this time. But it just didn't work out. 
And um, I heard somebody say that if they had, uh, I think they lost to Alabama in double overtime and how that kind of ultimately, I guess, was the turn the tide as far as them missing the tournament. Yeah, maybe so. Because, I mean, when that game happened, that was what kind of like put Alabama on the map as being, okay, this is an Alabama team you need to watch out for. And they went to the top and North Carolina went down to the bottom. Yeah, they just kind of reversed roles. Yeah, so really disappointing for my cousin Tom and all the Tar Heel fans. But, you know, the, maybe the positive is, you know, it, there's a precedent for where Roy Williams had a team like this that barely missed out in the NCAA tournament. They ended up winning the NIT, and the very next year they went and won the national championship. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they'll they'll be right back. That's right. And I think that, you know, if you're a North Carolina fan, I don't think you need to be super down on Hubert Davis. I mean, I think he significantly overachieved last year. And granted, he underachieved based on what he had coming back. But if he hadn't overachieved so much, would you really have thought that he underachieved that much this year? I mean, so there's a little bit of relativity to it. Right. That, that's true. And I, and I still think he's a very good coach, and he's someone that needs to be given a lot of time in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Joe, speaking of very good coaches and someone who I think deserves a real extension is the next one that I have on my list, and that's Jerry Stackhouse and Vanderbilt, which this one shocked me. I mean, I kept seeing that they won in a tournament, but I just didn't understand it. And I thought that eventually they would get put in there because of how great they were. I mean, you know, Vanderbilt finished with a winning record in the SEC, which got, what, eight other teams in the tournament, including Mississippi State, who I don't know how you put Mississippi State in over Vanderbilt. Or even, to be honest, I don't see how Missouri warrants entry over Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt also beat Auburn straight up. If you want to, you know, go into this. They had the same record in the league as Auburn, beat Auburn straight up, oh, and made it further in the, in the SEC tournament, and beat Kentucky. I mean, what more was Vanderbilt supposed to do to get in this tournament? Yeah, it, it surprised me too, Dan. I kept hearing people concentrate on their um, inexplicable LSU loss as kind of like a disqualification, but I thought they had, had enough time at the end to redeem that, you know, with their run in the SEC tournament. But what really surprised me in addition to that, I told you before the show, is their seating in the NIT. And I know these are two mutually exclusive tournaments with different committees for the selection process, but they were like a three seed in the NIT. And so that means that they weren't even like, you know, really even that close. And so that, that shocked me. I mean, that's saying that what they're, you know, between eight to 12 spots away from making the NCAA tournament. That's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Right. And, Joe, we're going in descending order of the ones that I think are the worst. Number one, and this one is just, like, jaw-droppingly bad, how is Clemson excluded from this tournament? So they're 23-10. and 10. They have a 14-6 and six record in the ACC. And, Joe, they have, there's a team that made the tournament in NC State, has a, the same record as Clemson. Clemson beat them three times during the regular season. And you put NC State in but not Clemson in? I mean, if I'm Brad Brownell and I'm a Clemson fan right now, I'm livid. Yeah, that, that really is senseless when I think about it. I did not know that stat. And yeah, that 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 shocked me. I think NC State, I know they I think they won at least a game in the ACC tournament, but to me, I thought Clemson had a much better showing in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, there was times when Clemson, I think, was leading the ACC overall. I mean, I think it was about half the season they were the number one team in the ACC. So, to me, that's just – that's a snub that's the level of Texas A&M last year in my mind. Yeah, that that was definitely one that stood out. Rutgers surprised me that they didn't make it too because they were ranked for a lot this season. And so, I thought they had a good chance to make it too. Yeah, and they've made it the last couple of years. And I think the last two years they've won at least one game in the NCAA tournament. 
you know, a lot of people talk about how Steve Peichel is like one of these really like, you know, gritty go-getter lower level coaches that everybody seems to like. So they kind of like the story of it. Plus people like our show make fun of record sports so much that they always can seem to like want to kind of, you know, prop them up and say that why they should be in the big 10 and be considered relevant. So I kind of expected Rutgers to make it too. Right. Right. And you know, the last thing I'll say is the thin line of separation between a lot of these teams, you look at Arizona state, which is one of the last, I think four teams to make it really the only reason they made it is they made a half court shot to beat um, Arizona a few Mm -hmm. weeks ago. Yeah. That's definitely the the big fact right there that got them in was getting the win over Arizona. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But, you know, in my mind, like beating a red-hot Kentucky team, if you're Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament and having beaten them during the regular season is more impressive than a lucky shot to beat Arizona. Well, yeah, I mean, when I saw Vanderbilt um, beat Kentucky, I thought they were a shoe-in. Um, I, I thought there was even an argument if they had not beaten Kentucky. But when I saw that, I thought it was just, you know, a, a done deal. Absolutely. And speaking of Mississippi State as a team that I don't think how you can justify them being in over Vanderbilt, they played last night and had a really tough loss in a real exciting game against Pittsburgh, which I kind of thought in watching the end of it was one where whichever team won it is one that maybe is primed to make a little bit of a run in the NCAA tournament. Because I feel like you always see a team that's in the first four that wins the first game in an exciting fashion that goes on a big run. Sometimes it's all the way to the Final Four. UCLA, uh, the first year that they had Tiger Campbell and Jaime Jaquez, they were one like that. And, of course, you know, if it hadn't been for the amazing uh, bank shot by Gonzaga, they would have gone to the national championship game to take on Baylor. They're one that did it. Uh, I remember, I think, Wichita State and VCU were both also ones that were in the first four that ended up making it all the way to the Final Four. And so and I'm not saying Pitt's going to make the final four, but I see with the way that game ended last night, Pittsburgh could be one to watch out to maybe win a game or two in the NCAA tournament. Oh, I, I certainly think so, Dan. Uh, yeah, I remember it all started out, I think, in 2011 with Shaka Smart and VCU going from the first four from the, to the final four. And just every year since, it's like there's been a lot of teams that have either made a deep run out of the first four or, or have at least won one game. And we saw um, – Pittsburgh with uh, Jeff Capel, who's been one of my favorite coaches for a long time in college basketball. Um, he used to be the head coach, of course, at Oklahoma, assistant at Duke. And uh, I was glad to see him get a win. You know, State played great as well. And right there at the wire, I think there were 21 or 22 lead changes throughout the game. So it was that kind of, you know, close game. I think the most lead changes in about five years for an NCAA tournament game. An interesting note, we were talking about Ole Miss basketball earlier they've got it seems like several players that either played for Kermit Davis or played for the program earlier who were playing in the NCAA tournament for other teams you got Jark Hill Jr. at NC State and you got Blake Henson at Pittsburgh and so he was on that team uh last night and uh at the end of the game Mississippi State had a wide open three-pointer with a couple seconds to go they missed that and then they missed the putback as well you know Pittsburgh's able uh, to survive Yep, and, you know, with the exception of finally breaking through in baseball, that's just Mississippi State sports for you right there. It's It's been it's been tough. It's been tough. That, that was a tough one. All right, Joe, let's go through the regionals a little bit, and we'll start up in the, the Midwest region. And this is one where Houston's the, the number one seed in it, and one where, of course, uh, you got a lot of ire from the head coach at Houston about the fact that 
Uh, they have to play in Birmingham for their first two games, and there's a huge possibility that they may have to take on Auburn in the second round, which, of course, I'm hoping that that gets to happen because you know that would mean that Auburn won their first game against an Iowa team that has a lot of high-scoring capability, much more so than the rest of the Big Ten, which tends to be on the you know rock-throwing side of things when it comes to shooting the basketball. Um Joe, first off, before we look at this Auburn-Iowa game, how good do you think Houston is if Marcus Sasser is not available? I think they're very vulnerable. I think even with him, there's a vulnerability to their team because they have um, one NBA forward who may be a top five pick next year, but I still look at their front court for the large part, they're more undersized. And I always get nervous about teams in the tournament that don't have like that seven-footer, 6'10 guy I think their tallest rebounders like in the six, seven range. And that makes me nervous when you see a team that's more guard oriented, because I feel like there's a good chance that they could have a cold shooting night and then they end up getting eliminated, you know, in a one um, do or die setting. And you take Sasser out of the equation, they're even more vulnerable because we saw how Memphis had their way against them in the AAC championship game on Sunday. And so I think that of the number one seeds, they're absolutely the, the 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 one that could be the victim first. I think so too, Joe. Uh, I think especially if they have to take on Auburn in the second round, them having to play essentially an away game in the second round is not good when you have a little bit of limitations when it comes to scoring. And I think that you know if Auburn can get that win over Iowa, they're going to have a really lit crowd. That's probably going to be like a ninety ten type atmosphere there. And I think it's, you know, it's going to be a huge opportunity if Auburn get that first win against what appears to be a vulnerable Houston team right now. Right, right. And, and maybe Sasser plays, but coming off that groin injury, you know, I just don't know how effective he'll be. And so that, that that's a big question. I know a lot of people sen- tend to think that they're still going to make a deep run, but, you know, I'm interested to see how it goes. And it is fascinating to me, hypothetically, the committee has got it conveniently set up where if uh, Houston were to make it to the Elite Eight, they could take on Texas. Right, exactly. And, Joe, in the crazy pipe dream that, that, you know, of course a lot of Auburn fans have, they also have it set up to where you could have an Auburn-Alabama national championship game if they were all both to win out the entire way. You're right. You're right. You also could have Indiana-Purdue. That's true. You do have it set up that way. Uh, You could also have Arizona and UCLA. Exactly. So there's definitely a lot of opportunities right there. Uh, Joe, moving down, I think, you know, the Drake and Indiana one is an interesting 12-5, or Drake and Miami is a very interesting 12-5 game. Drake is a school that's got a decent amount of basketball history to it. Miami's a team that, you know, as a 10 seed last year, had a great run. They beat, uh, you know, an Auburn team that was, you know, favorite from a lot of people to win the national championship uh, with Walker Kessler and, um, and Jabari Smith. And, you know, they did it with J.D. Wong, who came back, and he's with this Miami team. But they didn't really succeed the way that you expected Laranaga's bunch to this year. I think a lot of people thought they had a chance to be, like, maybe a two, three seed, something like that. They're coming in off a weak ACC that we saw they don't respect in the committee because they didn't even put North Carolina or Clemson in. I think it's been a little bit of a, a down year for Miami. Do you see this as a possible upset spot? I, I do, Dan. Um, I, I picked um, Drake to win this game. Um, I think that Miami is also kind of coming in uh, with some injuries, um, some key players. And so I think they're a little bit hobbled, and I think that uh, Drake's going to be able to capitalize. Okay. Um, 
I still have Miami winning that one, but I would be this is one that I'm like flip flopping on. I haven't really like finalized my picks yet. When I got to the very end of my bracket, I was very dissatisfied with it. So I'm gonna like look at it a couple more times. Um Joe Indiana uh taking on Kent State. I like Indiana to win this game. And I kind of think that, you know, now that you have uh, you know, Woodson, of course, the former Cavs coach being Indiana's coach. He's kind of improved them the last couple of years. You have Trace Jackson Davis, who I think is a fifth-year senior. I think Indiana's a team that could make a really big run in this. And initially, I have them going to the Final Four. So, Oh, no, I have them. Um, I'll tell you later on where I have them. But, yeah, I think that they're just an outstanding team. I think that Trace Jackson Davis, you know, with like his size, uh, with his scoring and rebounding ability, he averages 20 points and like 10 rebounds a game. I mean, this guy is a force of nature, and I think that this may be his NCAA tournament for the taking. I think so, too. I mean, when you have a guard that's a fifth-year senior that's an excellent player, I tend to like you. I mean, you look at what UConn's been able to do a couple times. I mean, including that time they had that great run through the Big uh, Big East Championship and came out and, and won, uh, you know, with having the excellent guard play. I mean, it just makes a big difference when you have that senior leadership. Yes, absolutely. And Joe, we were talking about Pitt. Um, you know, I see them. They, they, of course, I got them winning their first round matchup against Iowa State. Who we're talking about the kind of crazy love that the the Big Twelve has gotten versus the ACC. I mean, Iowa State's in there at nineteen and thirteen. You had North Carolina at twenty thirteen didn't make the tournament. Vanderbilt uh, with twenty two wins didn't make the tournament. Clemson with twenty three wins didn't make the tournament, and yet somehow Iowa State. And 19 and 13 is a six seed. I think Iowa State's an extremely overrated team, and Pitt takes them out in the first round. Yeah, I think so too. I've also got Pitt. Like, yeah, I thought that was a, a vast, um, you know, seeding travesty, and it, it, it kind of reminded me of Texas A&M. You know, kind of the flip side. I think they're they're vastly underseeded. Yeah, I think I think Texas A&M might be the most underseeded team in this tournament. I mean, they were by and far the second best team in the SEC. And they showed it by, you know, beating Alabama and then making it to the SEC championship game. And yet they're sitting here as a seven seed. I think a lot of it is that um, Buzz Williams has been so outspoken and like, you know, hating on the NCAA tournament selection committee from last year and put it out there that, you know, he was criticizing them again before they even got picked. They were like, oh, you want to criticize us? Well, we'll screw you again. Don't worry about it. I'm pretty sure that's what happened because that's the only explanation for them being a seven seed. I mean, they're good enough in my mind to be a three or a four seed. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like they – it doesn't make any sense. It's like the only other explanation is they wanted to set it up that they could face Texas in the round of 32. Yeah, and I think that's that, that's possible when I do have that matchup happening in the round of 32. And, Joe, we were talking about how great this Texas team has been without Chris Beard. I think that that's a prime opportunity for an upset of Texas A&M making the Sweet 16 at least by beating Texas because, you know, Texas A&M has shown the ability. They beat Alabama pretty handily. They can beat some of these teams that have really elite scorers. They're not scared of anybody. And Buzz Williams' style of defense is such a tough thing to prepare for that if you don't play it all the time, they can easily get you in a tournament setting. No, I, I could see it. I went back and forth with that. I did have Texas making it to the Sweet 16, but that, that was definitely a coin flip game for me against A&M, if it happens. All right, Joe, uh, moving down to uh, the West Regional, 
Uh, you got Kansas, of course, the number one seed. But this eight nine matchup with Arkansas and Illinois is maybe one of the, maybe the most fascinating eight nine game on the board to me. Yeah, it, it's really good, Dan. Um, I went Arkansas here, but I also went back and forth. Um, I feel like Illinois the last couple of years kind of underachieved in the tournament. Arkansas, you know, made a lot of noise with back-to-back Elite Eight matchups. And I kind of just leaned towards uh, Eric Musselman's team, uh, I think, being more talented. Like, I think about this team being a preseason top three team, and I think they'll they'll figure it out enough to at least get to the next round. Yeah, Arkansas has been playing a little bit better of late, too. They were able to beat Auburn in a close game in the SEC tournament. Um, you know, they finished the season a little stronger. They had a really rough time in the SEC and, and you know, through a lot of it. But they're definitely a team that on paper and on the court looks like a team that's good enough to be in the Final Four. I did go Illinois on this one because I really like Brad Underwood as a coach. And I do feel like he's had teams the last couple years that were better in what they did during the season but that underachieved. I think there's going to be a lot of motivation for Illinois to be a good team. And I also think that, you know, Illinois and Kansas, I think that's a very vulnerable place for maybe a one seed to go down. And I think it could be the same with Arkansas, too. I think this Kansas team is very overrated. I mean, it, it could be a tough game. I, I could see that that really being, um, you know, a physical game. And, you know, we'll see if Kansas can uh, can survive it. Absolutely. Because, you know, I feel like with Bill Self, he'll have his team that will win a national championship, but then he always follows it up with having a stinker and, like, kind of going out early in, in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, he's got a lot of new players that um, – or either in key roles that maybe weren't on the team last year, like a Grady Dick or a guy like Jalen Wilson, who's I think the Big 12 player of the year. But last year, you know, he played more of a supporting role. Mm. And this year, he's the guy. And so I kind of want to see how these guys perform on that stage being, the you know, the, the main person. Plus, yeah, you also got to think, too, that Bill Self uh, missed a lot of the Big 12 tournament with an illness. There's a little bit of a lack of cohesiveness maybe with the team, too. That, that, that could be a factor. Uh, Joe, here's an interesting uh, 5-12 matchup in St. Mary's and VCU, two uh, mid-majors that both have a really good history in this tournament. And St. Mary's is one that, you know, was winning the West Coast Conference for a long time this year and uh, made the championship game and got waxed by Gonzaga, but they actually do have a win over Gonzaga this year. Who do you like in that one? I like VCU, um, just the way they ended their season winning the um, Atlantic 10. I thought they were very impressive in that championship game. But just kind of an overall critique I wanted to say about this region, I'm very frustrated with what the committee did, putting both St. Mary's and Gonzaga in the same region. Mm. St. Mary's had one of their best seasons ever in school history. And, you know, I'm kind of a fan of the West Coast Conference. It's a conference I keep up with and really enjoy watching. And I just think it's a travesty that you don't have these teams in different regions with Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen, uh, you know, the possibility that they could have played each other in the, in the national championship game. That would have been really cool for me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if it had been a power conference, you know, with only two teams, you would have absolutely separated it. Especially two teams like this that have such a rivalry where, like, you know, it's probably been the last 10 years they've been the number one and number two team in the West Coast Conference. And they split their series this year. And, you know, so I think that – this is like probably the year that St. Mary's has been closest to being as good as Gonzaga. So it would have been nice to have seen them to have that opportunity maybe later in the tournament. Right. Exactly. Um, Joe, fascinating matchup for me, UConn and Iona. Uh, of course, Iona coached by Rick Pitino. He was another one that was rumored for the Ole Miss job. 
Uh, Rick Pitino, you know, seems like he's very happy at Iona now, like being out of the spotlight, but keeps getting this team a little bit closer. I mean, they came in last year. They uh, played Alabama, played them pretty good, I think, for the first half in the NCAA tournament. And now they're all the way up to a 13 seed. I mean, he's starting to get a little bit more credos to him. Uh, UConn is a team that a lot of people think could, you know, possibly win a national championship. They beat Alabama early in the season. There was a time they were number one overall. Do you think this is a possible huge shocking upset right here? No, I think it's an interesting game kind of by storyline with it, um, you know, being uh, UConn against Iona with Iona being in the state of New York and the rumor mill that uh, Rick Pitino is going to take the job at St. John's um, in a few weeks. And so I think there's going to be a lot of buildup with him against UConn, but I think UConn's going to win pretty easily. And, you know, I'll go ahead and say it. I actually have UConn in my final four. Like I think they're, they're that good. Um, and, and I think that with my bracket this year, I'm trying to be a little bit bolder because mm-hmm. I feel like every year I sometimes make a lot of the safe picks, but you look at brackets every year, there's always, you know, kind of those weird formulas that play out. So that that's one of mine this year is uh, UConn making it to the final four. I also wanted to mention I have Indiana in the final four as well. I do also. Indiana is a final four team for me uh, also. I got UConn making a deep run, um, but I got them going down to UCLA in the Elite Eight. I'm a big fan of UCLA. Uh, we'll talk about them in a little bit, but I love the senior leadership they have of Hami Hawkins and Tiger Campbell. Yeah, they're, they're good. Um, yeah, I got UConn beating St. Mary's and, and making it to the Elite Eight. Um, Jay, who's one that's going to be interesting? Uh, TCU and Arizona State. I, I like TCU. Um, Jamie Dixon's one of my favorite coaches. Loved him when he was at Pittsburgh, and I think that he's going to advance and take on uh, Gonzaga in the next round. That's right. TCU's had a good year this year in basketball. I mean, they've, they've been consistently in the top 25 in a really good conference in the Big 12. Had some really big wins at home. That looked like a really nice home facility that TCU has at basketball. Now, I love the court, and the atmosphere is good. And Jamie Dixon did a great job at Pittsburgh for a long time. I thought that was a great hire for TCU. Absolutely. Um, Joe, we got Gonzaga. I think they're going to be good in their first round. I think Gonzaga TCU is going to be a really good round of thirty-two game. But I got Gonzaga making it to Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, I, I've got them. I've got them making it to the Elite Eight and then falling to UConn. But you know, we'll, we'll talk about UCLA in a second. I think that could be a great game. Oh yeah, definitely, Joe. Um, you know, go in the bottom of this bracket. Um, good because we're you know, but we'll do the next uh, half in the, in the separate podcast. But uh, Northwestern and Boise State, I think Northwestern's been a great story this year. I'd like them to get a win in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think that, you know, they'll get the first win that they've had. I think it's been like 20 years since they've won a game in the NCAA tournament. But they're definitely one that, you know, really exceeded this year. I think they'll get one win. But in the second round, I don't see them beating UCLA, who – um, I'll, I'll be honest, I've been winning the national championship. I'm a huge fan of UCLA – I think that they've built so slowly, and with all of the leadership that they have, I think this is their year. It could be. I mean, they you know have two great players in Campbell and Hockey that have been there for a while. I really think that Gonzaga-UCLA game, you know, I picked UConn in this region, but it wouldn't surprise me if either one of those teams won the whole thing. You know, we think about um, Gonzaga's kind of out of the storylines this week. With They still got Drew Timmy. And then UCLA, I feel like a lot of people kind of detracted from them because they had one or two key injuries, but they still have Paquez and Campbell. Absolutely. And it's a repeat of that great Final Four matchup we had a couple of years. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about 
the South and the East regionals. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.